right, well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. Well, it was my uh, sophomore year of uh, English class, and we were assigned a group project. And our teacher had given us an assignment to make a video uh, recreating a classic book that we had just read as a class. And so that was the assignment. That's what the teacher had spoken and assigned to us. However, what my group and I heard was get together with your friends and create a funny video that will make your classmates laugh. And so that's what we did. And you know how these things are. One thing leads to another. Things kind of snowball out of control, and you feed off of one another's silliness and immaturity, so much so that things just really start to get out of hand, and you end up making something that should never have been shown in a classroom setting. And needless to say, we had not really followed the assignment And so a few minutes into the video being shown in our English class, uh, which, by the way, it was a hit with the students, okay? Um, However, even the students weren't really laughing like we thought they would laugh. It was more of a nervous laughter, like they were nervous for us and as to what having to repeat English class would do to our futures. And so there was a nervous laughter, but, but uh, into a few minutes of the video, our teacher starts storming up to the front of the room to turn the video off. And our teacher up until this point, I mean, he was, a, he was an older man. He was in the last year of his teaching. He was about to retire. And so you can imagine, nothing really phased him throughout the year. He was very jovial. He was always singing to us. Uh, and he knew, you know, he was about to retire. Not much uh, really tested his patience. But within a few minutes of this video being shown, he storms up to the front of the classroom and shuts the TV off which I'm still to this day so thankful he did because it was the last half of the video that really got out of control. But after he cooled off for a little bit, uh, he was actually very gracious to us. And he told us the assignment again. And he gave us a second chance at it. You see, what was needed in that situation was for our teacher to be gracious And for him to come to us and to tell us the assignment again. We needed to hear the assignment for a second time. And church, don't we often need to hear things a second time? And if you're like me, sometimes a third or a fourth or a fifth or a hundredth time we need to hear something. And church, this morning we we have arrived at Jonah chapter 3 where we here get to see once again the persistent grace and patience of God on display as he brings his assignment to Jonah for the second time. The second time. Jonah has been saved from the bottom of the sea by a great fish that we saw last week the Lord had sent and who housed Jonah for three days and for three nights. 
And then, as you know, there are, there are two ways out of a fish. And I would say God was very gracious to bring Jonah out of the front of the fish. And Jonah is spewed out, and he swims to dry land. And at this point, we would say, wow, how gracious God is to save Jonah. But maybe now, God should move on and call a more obedient prophet. Don't you think? I mean, God's been good. He's been gracious. He's saved Jonah's life. But maybe now God needs to move on and call someone else to go on this mission to Nineveh. Certainly there's a prophet out there that's a bit more worthy and maybe has a bit better of a resume and has a bit more righteous character. Maybe they should be the ones to now go to Nineveh. But no, here we see that God is much more gracious than we think he is. And he brings this assignment to Jonah for the second time. And this morning, my prayer is that we would see how God is persistently gracious to us to continue to call us on mission with him. And therefore, we must not be content to sit in our sin, to wallow in our past failures, but we must get up and go with him in his grace. So let's pray and let's ask that the Lord would would teach us this morning from his word. Father God, your word is upright. And all you do is done in faithfulness. You love righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of your steadfast love. You spoke, and everything came into being. You commanded, and it stood firm. And so, Father, this morning I ask that your word would do some creating in this place. We ask that your word would create in us clean hearts and that you would renew right spirits within us, that your grace would fall fresh upon us and that we might be raised to new life in you. Lord, we ask that you would heal those amongst us and those that are home this morning who are physically sick and hurting. God, we ask that you would bring quick healing to their bodies and that you would help them trust you in the process. Lord, we ask that this morning your word would continue to strengthen and nourish this church. Father, we ask that you would keep this body of believers healthy, that you would keep us growing in maturity, in wisdom, in love. Lord, we also ask and think of the other churches in Franklin that are gathering this morning. God, would you equip them and strengthen them and equip their pastors with your message and your words this morning? Would you help them to not despair, but encourage their hearts? And would you continue to raise up healthy pastors to pastor your people in this, in this city? Father, I ask for us that you would continue to give us more opportunities to share of your goodness and grace with others as we go about our work and we spend time in the places that we live. 
Help us be a non-anxious presence in our workplaces, in our families, and in our neighborhoods. Help us to see your glory and your goodness this morning as we look at your word. Give light, O Lord. Please speak, O Lord. Your sons and your daughters, we are listening. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look with me now at Jonah 3, verse 1. Jonah 3, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Well, you'll notice first that God is graciously giving this assignment again to Jonah. Right? The word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And at the start of chapter 1, we saw this call and commission for Jonah. However, at that time, what we saw Jonah do was get up and run the other direction. But now he's been in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I think it's safe to say that God has taken him through some things. And now he is recommissioned to get up and to go. And while we see, and while we will see, that Jonah's heart still has some issues to work through with God, enough has happened to him that he is at least now willing to get up and go. And isn't this often the case with us, that first time we hear God's word? Our hearts are not always ready and willing to trust and obey it right away. But then the Lord brings things into our lives to till up the soil of our hearts, so to speak, and to get us ready to receive it when it comes the second or maybe third or fourth or fifth time. And so Jonah receives the assignment, and this time he doesn't run. Now notice the difference, or maybe the the clarification that God provides Jonah in chapter 3 as compared to Jonah chapter 1. You can flip back to Jonah 1, or we'll have it up on the screen. Jonah 1 verse 2, this was the first call and commission that God gives. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And then in Jonah chapter 3, He says something very similar, but provides a bit of clarification for Jonah. He says in Jonah 3, verse 2, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. You see, God wants to clarify something to Jonah and to us, and that is that he's calling Jonah not to go preach whatever Jonah feels like preaching. He's being commissioned to go preach what God is going to tell him to preach. Now, 
we are not prophets like Jonah, and God does not speak to us like he spoke to his prophets. However, we have something even better. We have his word. And it is this word that we are commissioned to go and disciple the nations with. It is this word that pastors and teachers and parents and all Christians are to take and proclaim to people. And I know we've got a lot of future pastors and missionaries and teachers and parents in here. And so all of you, listen up, listen up. Nothing is more dangerous than someone going on God's behalf and bringing their own message to the people. Nothing is more detrimental to the church than when people take the world's philosophy and psychology and wrap it up with a Bible verse. There's nothing more dangerous than a pastor who feels called to be a pastor because they've got some things to say. Like they've got this agenda for what needs to be spoken. They've got this plan for what people need to hear. Listen, if that's the case, that person has missed the assignment. They weren't listening to their call and commission. They've maybe entertained the class, but they've forgotten the assignment. What does Paul tell his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1? He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's my problem sometimes. Preach the word and be patient to see the fruit it will bear. Don't feel like you've got to manufacture something or put something together that's just so cool and relatable and relevant that it will produce immediate fruit. No, preach the word and then give room for the Spirit to work. And so all of you future pastors and teachers and missionaries and parents and disciple makers, which is all of us, preach the word. We've overcomplicated things, thinking that God's message needs our help and to make it more palatable or to make it more relevant or like we could spruce it up and just make it a little bit better. No, church, God's word that he has given us is enough. We don't need to go looking for another message. What we need is to read this one and to know this one and to share this one, and to text this one, and to pray this one, and to get up and go and take this one to those around us. And this is really the driving heartbeat amongst the leadership here at this church. It's we have this burning desire to get God's word to God's people, 
to get God's word to God's people. And we need and we are praying for more and more people here that will step up and answer the call to help get God's word to God's people. We need more people who know the word and can teach the word and can share the word, who can feed the word of God to God's people. And oh, can you imagine what God could do here in 10, 20, 30 years with well-fed, equipped Christians who are ready for action? And so we're going to do everything we can to make sure you are well fed here. But listen, this isn't a 24-7 all-you-can-eat buffet. This is the food hall for soldiers who come in and feast so that they will be strengthened to go out and fight the good fight of faith. You see, the word of the Lord has come to Jonah so that the word of the Lord might flow through Jonah and out to the Ninevites. The Lord is, yes, once again here being gracious to Jonah, bringing the word to Jonah a second time, but he's also being gracious once again to the Ninevites that his word might get to them through Jonah. You see, church, the word of the Lord has come to you for maybe the second, third, fourth, a hundredth time. Because yes, God is being gracious to you. But he's also desiring his word to flow out through you. He's poured the river of life into your soul that it might flow out from you. He swept you off the ocean floor so that you would get up and go in his grace on mission with him. And yet many times, we don't get up and go. We don't go walk in his grace, but instead are paralyzed by our failures and we are content to sit in our sin. And God says, get up and go in my grace. But we stay down because we feel like we've used up all the grace that has been given to us. I don't know if anyone else in here ever feels like that. That you've used up all the grace that God has given you. I mean, he gave you a second chance at things, right? And now you've just totally screwed up the second chance. And so we sit in our failures and our sin. We stay on the sidelines instead of getting up and walking in His grace. And I think this is many of us at times. And we need God's Word to help inform our feelings on this one. And so I'm going to go really quickly through a couple of passages that give us a, a snapshot of what God's heart is like towards us and whether or not we can really use up all the grace we've received. So I'd encourage you to write these references down for later. Just follow along on the screen. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8. But God shows. And that word shows here in the original, it means to display in a way that puts it beyond question. Right? God has displayed something in a way to put this beyond question, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see this, church? Do you see those of you who are sitting in your sin instead of walking in his grace? Do you see this? Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He did not die for us when we were strong or righteous or honorable. You see, many of us, we have come to know the great grace of salvation that God has offered to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We've come to be justified and declared right with God by grace through faith. But then, when we sin as a Christian, when we fall short again, and again, of the glory he's called us to. We despair, and we think that we have blown our second chance. And listen, I know it's popular to say that our God is a God of second chances. I mean, if you, if you typed this passage of Scripture into an internet search engine, you will find like a million sermons titled, God of second chances. And it's partially true, but it needs some clarification, and it's not what I've titled this morning's sermon. God is not a God of second chances, meaning uh, by way of him forgiving our past, giving us a fresh start, and now the rest is up to us. That's that's not what God is like. It, it, God's not just forgiven us our sins and then said, good luck with your second chance. Don't screw it up. And thanks be to God that that is not what God is like, that he does not just simply give us a second chance because if that's what God was like, then all of us would have screwed up our second chance. No salvation which we learned last week belongs to the Lord. Such a shocking and beautiful truth. When the great fish heard it, he just spit Jonah out. He didn't know what to do with it. Salvation is not this just gift of a clean slate and a fresh start. Salvation is much more than just cleaning our slate. Yes, God cleans our slate. He forgives our sin, but then he does something else. He fills our slate with Christ's righteousness. You see, when you put your faith in Christ, that's not you just asking for a redo or a do-over or just to, to restart this thing. No, your faith in Christ is evidence that you are now a new creation that you have a new identity, that you are no longer an enemy of God, but a friend, that you are no longer an orphan in the world, but a son or daughter of God. And church, listen to this. Jesus Christ did not die to simply give you a fresh start. 
He died to secure your future. Jesus Christ did not die to simply give you a fresh start. He died to secure your future. He's brought you into his family. He's covered you in his steadfast, loyal, covenantal love. And if he did that for you while you were an orphan, while you were an enemy, how much more will he be gracious to you now that you're in his family. And so listen, if you are sitting in your sin instead of walking in his grace this morning, you need to pay attention to the words much more that we see in Romans 5, starting in verse 9. See if you can find these words much more. Romans 5, verse 9. Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Read it with me. Much more. Good. Shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Read it with me. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? You see, if we were saved by his grace while we were enemies by his death, how much more grace is there now for us to be saved by his life? How much more grace is there for us? The answer is much more. Much more. So why do we sit in our sin? There is much more grace for you to walk in, church. Why are you sitting on the sidelines thinking you are unable to be used by God any longer? Why are you wallowing in your sin? If Jonah did not get sidelined, why do you think you have to be? Another passage of Scripture to consider, Psalm 103. Hear these words from Psalm 103, which are true for anyone who is in Christ, who has been adopted into the family of God. In Psalm 103, verse 10, it says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. It almost feels too good to read. Listen, God is, God is still dealing with our sins, all right? But he's not dealing with us according to our sins. And there's a difference. He's not holding grudges against us. God's not counting your sins against you if you are in Christ. Listen, if you are in Christ, your sins are counted to Christ on the cross. And Christ said the payment for those is finished. And so therefore, God is not counting your sins against you. Who are you then to count your sins against you? Like, who do you think you are to do that? And isn't that what we do when we sit in our sin instead of walking with God and His grace? It's us dealing with ourselves according to our sin 
making ourselves miserable and counting our sins against us. But what right do you and I have to sit in despair on the ground thinking that we are unusable for His kingdom? God saved you and, yes, showed you His grace. But He did that also so that you would get up and you would walk with Him in His grace. That you would hear this call to be on mission with Him and that you would go. That His Word might continue to come to you and it would flow through you. Psalm 103 continues in verse 11. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. This word steadfast love, it's the Hebrew word hesed, which refers to God's covenantal, loyal love for His people, which we have been grafted into in Christ. It's like the loyal love that you have for your kids. I'm guessing, you know, most of us in here, we love kids. You probably love all the kids in this church, but you have a loyal love to your kids. So great is his steadfast love, his loyal love to those who fear him. Verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Church, the word made flesh has come to us and put on display beyond question that God is persistently gracious to his people. Yes, at the moment of our conversion, but then he has much more grace to pour out on us every day of our lives. We do not need to sit and despair in our sins, but instead confess them and turn from them and get up and walk with him in the grace of God. God does not hold grudges against his kids. Yes, he still lovingly disciplines them as a father should, but he doesn't hold grudges against his kids. He's still dealing with our sins, but he's not dealing with us according to our sins. And here we see in the story of Jonah, he does not hold a grudge here against Jonah, does he? No, he graciously comes And he calls him again. And we see example after example of this in the scripture. Of God's grace persistently being poured out. And God continuing to call his kids even though they continue to stumble along the way. And don't we see this in the case of Simon Peter? I mean, Simon Peter was the guy that said he was ready to die for Jesus. He was ready to go to prison for Jesus. And then on the night that Jesus was arrested, he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And in Luke chapter 22, 
speaking of Peter's third and final denial of Jesus. It says, but Peter said, man, I do not know who you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And you can imagine how Peter feels when the Lord turns and looks at him. And he gets up and he runs away and he weeps bitterly. He's denied that he knows Jesus. And those of you who have had a friend or a family member or a brother or sister in Christ who you thought you had this loyal kind of love, then for whatever reason, they've cut you out of their life. They've ended the relationship. They've denied that, that there was even something there ever before. You know how this feels to be denied, to be abandoned. And Jesus knows it all too well. This is what Peter does to Jesus. He denies him. He abandons him. He says, I'm not his disciple. And in a similar way, it's what we do every time we turn from God's ways. It's us essentially saying, I'm not his disciple right now. When we give in to sin, aren't we essentially saying, I don't know this man, Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. I think I'm king right now, and I think I know what's best for me right now to make me happy right now in this moment. moment. And so some time then passes for Peter, right? Jesus is crucified. He's then risen from the dead and he's appeared to his disciples. And then in John chapter 21, we see the word of God coming to call Peter from a fishing boat for the second time. And Peter at this time, he's returned to fishing. You can imagine he's feeling a bit like a failure wondering how in the world he could ever be used by God again. And Jesus invites him to come have breakfast on the shore. And the word says that they are sitting around a charcoal fire, which is a really interesting detail that John mentions. But I believe he mentions it for a reason, because what we saw back in John 18 when Peter denies Jesus, what do we see him standing around? He's standing around a charcoal fire. And I don't think this is Jesus just trying to be mean, just trying to bring up some bad past memory for Peter so that he feels really bad and guilty about what he did. No, I believe this is Jesus redeeming this memory for him. So that in the future when he's around a charcoal fire. He doesn't have to remember the denial, but he can remember his recommissioning by Jesus. 
John 21, verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In the same way that Peter had three opportunities to deny Christ, God now gives him three opportunities to affirm his love for him. And as we know, Peter would go on to do a lot of ministry with the Lord. He, he goes on to preach at Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved. He then goes on to receive a vision in the city of Joppa, which should remind you of something. And he gets this vision to go and preach to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. And they come to faith in Christ. And just as Jonah was the prophet called to go to the Gentile nation, his enemy, the Ninevites, and go preach, so Simon Peter is called to go to his enemy, the Romans, and preach and watch that household come to faith. God doesn't hold grudges. He deals with our sins, but he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And he graciously uses people like Peter and Jonah and you and me to get up and go in grace and take his word to his people and to the nations. There was a, an incident uh, recently in my life where I felt some conviction over this, uh, even this morning, the Lord bringing it to mind. Uh, I, I have a co-worker that I used to work with years ago in the hospital, and we were never really close, but, but you know, we, we worked with each other on occasion. He's one of the, um, the ER physicians, and in the last year or so, he's been diagnosed with a, a brain tumor, and he's gone through treatment, and he's now to the point where he's just receiving comfort care. And he's got three little girls. He's got a young family. And there's been multiple times that I've been ready to sit down and to, to write, write him an email or to write him a message or to write him something to reach out to him to try to encourage him. And and. It does seem like both him and his wife, uh, they have faith in Christ and they've had pastors and people around them supporting them. And, and again, I, I haven't been close with him, especially recently. It's been years. And every time I've kind of sat down to think of something to write, it's just always never known what to say. I've also then been reminded of there were a few past instances that I was working in the ER and I was around him and I knew that I was not the greatest witness for Christ. I had some failures there in my past where I knew I was not 
following Jesus in that moment and felt like I was being a bad witness. And so the Lord has prompted me at times to reach out to him, but there's something just kind of this guilty feeling in my past, like, God, there's someone, there's someone better you can send. There's someone smarter, someone more obedient, someone who has their heart more in line with you that, that you should send. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines on this one. And that's really the hard thing about preaching. <laughs> is that it seems like the Lord is, you know, why can't I just preach it to others? Why does the Lord also have to convict me in the process? <laughs> but it's also the really good thing for my own soul. To be able to even this morning give over my past sin and failures to the Lord. And to now get up and go with however he might be calling me on this mission to at least engage and encourage this brother. Notice back in verse 2 of Jonah 3 what is under the surface of this recommissioning to Jonah. We might miss it on first read. But in Jonah 3, verse 2, God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. You see, God does not just give him a message and send him to, do, to go do some work for him. That's not what's happening here. He says, Get up and go in my grace, and I will tell you the message. Now think about it. How will he tell them, tell him the message? He'll tell him because God is going to go with him. You see, God's people oftentimes run from God because we wrongly think we've been called to run for God instead of running with God. I'll say that again. God's people, oftentimes we run from God because we wrongly think we've been called to run for God instead of running with God. And so back, back before uh, I had kids, maybe even before I was married, I had a group of friends that would go uh, biking together early Saturday mornings, like at 6 a.m., which nothing sounds worse to me than getting up at 6 a.m. to go biking, all right? And I didn't even have a bike. I didn't like anything about biking, but they had all the gear for me. They had a bike and all this stuff, and they just said, come, and then I just wouldn't even have to think about it, hop on the bike and follow them wherever they're going. Now, the only reason that I enjoyed it, the only reason that I would get up that early on a Saturday morning was because I enjoyed being with my friends. And we would talk and we would laugh and we would share some experiences together, oftentimes go out to breakfast together. So while I didn't really necessarily, I wasn't all about biking, I enjoyed being with my friends. Now, if they would have asked me to get up and go do a ride for them, 
You know, like their bikes just need the mileage every Saturday. Can I just get up and take their bike and just put some miles on it? Can I go do a bike ride for them? If they would have asked me that, I would have been like, uh, no, that's okay. That sounds awful. I would have avoided them at church. I would have, you know, just not made eye contact. And church, the Great Commission which God has graciously given to his disciples and to his church, it sounds a lot like God asking us to go do something for him if we leave off the last part. I'll read it for us, although I know most of you are familiar with it. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How gracious is our God that he has graciously and persistently come to us time and time again with his word. And he's gracious with us at the point of our conversion. And he's gracious with us every day since that time. And he's graciously called us to be part of his work and to go with him on mission in, wor- in the world. Not to do work for him, but to do work with him. And to enjoy him all along the way. God is persistently gracious to continue to call us on mission with him. Therefore, let us not sit in our sin on the sidelines. But let us get up and go with him in his grace. Some of you have made missteps along the way. And you think that you are of no more use to God. Listen, that is not true. Look at Jonah. Look at Peter. Look at everyone in here. (laughs) If you think everyone else has it together, you have just not gotten to know us yet. Some of you, the word of the Lord has come to you over and over and over again. And God desires it to flow out through you to others. And yet you're unwilling to get up and go in his grace. You're unwilling to trust that he will give you what you are to speak when you get there. You're content to wallow in your sin and you won't get up and walk in his grace. We need you off the sidelines. There is much more grace for you to experience and enjoy. Some of you have overwhelmed yourselves into thinking that you have to come up with some big fancy message for your kids or for your friends or for your family and all God really wants you to do is just open up and read the word and pray and wait for the leading of the Holy Spirit. And some of you have run from what God is calling you to do because you think he's calling you to do something for him. But you're wrong. He doesn't need you to do something for him. 
He's called you to do something with him. And oh, what joy and courage there is when I stop pastoring for God and I start pastoring with God. There is joy and courage in that, let me tell you. There's joy and courage when I stop trying to father and disciple my boys for God and start fathering and discipling them with God. And oh, what joy and courage there is when I stop trying to go reach my neighbors for God and I start going to my neighbors with God. Church, God is persistently gracious to us to continue to call us on mission with him. Therefore, let us not sit in our sin, but let us get up and go with him in his grace. Let's pray.